Well, welcome back to the podcast, Teaching for Dummies. I'm your host, Brett Harvey, and I'm joined today by two very incredible teachers uh, that I've taught alongside over the years. We welcome back the irrepressible grade one, two teacher and ICT coach, Kate Kilkenny. Hi, everybody. Woo. And our new addition is the wonderful grade six teacher and humanities ACL and also school union rep, Julie Shear. Yay! Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> no worries. What's an ACL, Julie? Well, some call it their anterior cruciate ligament. Yeah. <laughs> but at our school, it is the assistant curriculum leader. Yeah. And uh, so you're the assistant curriculum leader for humanities. How's that going? For humanities prep to six. Yeah. Wow. Big job. Yeah, it can be at times. Um, I think it's a big job at the moment because uh, the way the curriculum's organised is prep to four have humanities for semester one and then they swap and do science semester two. So it's intense for terms one and two, but semester two will be just working with the year five sixes but as well as developing curriculum for the future year. Yeah. I know my learning specialist has told me she's got some big things planned for semester two when we're uh, not developing the curriculum for prep to four. Do you think that um, remote learning has put a bit of a spanner in, in that kind of work? Like are we going to have to play like lots of catch-up later on in the year? Um, potentially. I know that we've been allocated a lot more planning time for humanity since we've been remote learning because our, I think it's because the, the PLT structure isn't happening the same as if we were attending school. Um, and so, therefore, we've ended up with a lot more um, planning time. So we've had a lot more planning meetings in teams and collaborative planning as far as developing the weekly curriculum. Um, so in some ways we've, we've benefited from it. But as far as the learning for the for the students, there's a lot less hands-on involvement because of the remote learning. So um, it's been harder to develop that um, concrete knowledge, I guess you'd say, rather than just in the abstract. I think it's hard for them to maybe uh, create those deeper connections with the curriculum if they're not able to see it and experience it like we normally would. Yeah. I know that in the yeah, prep... Sure. In the prep department, we would normally have, you know, um, people from the community coming in to visit um, this time of the year. You know, the police, the fire brigade, the ambulance, and the kids just absolutely love seeing those things in person. And, of course, at the moment, we can't do that. Mm. It's the same with our grade six unit is the um, the government, or the running of the government, the running of Australia. We had a camp to Canberra planned so that was obviously um, cancelled pretty quickly as well as things like in-class debates role plays of parliament that sort of thing that's yeah. not occurring um, it's a fairly dry topic as it is so to not have those things in there as well at the moment is is challenging for the kids yeah. trying to do a few creative activities but then the kids come back with things like we don't have any paper at home or we don't have scissors and glue at home so we can't create a diorama or whatever it is they've been asked to do at the moment it's a um good insight for the whole who's leading our country and our people at the moment anyway yeah there's a little bit of connection there i've been able to connect some of the learning there 
with, um, you know, we've seen the politicians on TV quite a bit lately and mm. this is what they're doing and this is why we're not back at school in Victoria but other states are because we're, you know, state government versus federal government, that sort of sort of thing. <clears throat> and, Kate, you know, you're an ICT coach, so you must be pretty stoked that every teacher is going to go back to school <laughs> and they're going to be ICT experts. <laughs> it was the plan all along. <laughs> Look what us digital learning experts have done to you all. <laughs> no. Um, it's, yeah, I just hope it continues for a lot of people. And I'm not saying to this um, degree there is a difficulty, but I know for myself there are new things that I've embedded that I'm going to try and keep up with um, mm. in my classroom. Um, and I hope the kids still keep challenging themselves with a lot of digital expert things. But as my role, I want the teachers to have faith and keep trying new things with different ways of doing it. You know, the little apps and that we're using, like the Vocaroo, oh no, our, uh, the school that I'm at, they're using a lot of Vocaroos and screencasts and things like that. And they can be beneficial for our um, EAL and kids that are either of a lower ability or even a higher ability if you want to extend kids. So hopefully that continues. Yeah. Well, to add to that, I think that um, having to do screencasts and vocaroos and things like that, it's made teachers have to stop and think about how they communicate with kids and exactly what they say. You know, they've got to be succinct. They've got to be to the point. You know, it can still be fun, but they've got to make sure that what they say is accessible to all level of, you know, English-speaking kids, EAL kids. Yeah, it's been a real challenge, but I think that sometimes um, when people are forced to go a certain way that they respond with resilience. Generally, yeah. I know that um, from a union perspective as the, as the union rep, we did a survey recently of feedback on, on remote learning and it's for consultative committee and the results were quite surprising. They were more positive than I expected. 80% of the results indicated that people were uh, positive about the experience. They mm. were engaged in it and they were getting positive feedback from their families and students and, and feeling um, self-challenged and learning new skills and all of those sorts of things. Mm. Along with that came the 80% of results that said they had just how much harder they were working, mm. double, double the amount that they'd normally do and how exhausting it was um, being online with the students all day, every day, rather than one-on-one. -on -one. I, I, I imagine one of the things that I find regularly is rather than one child asking a question and everybody hearing their uh, response to it in the classroom, if you're in a chat room, say, with the students and, and they ask a question and they can't see each other's questions, you answer the same question 15 times Yeah. Um, yeah. Through, through the typing element of it. Mm. Julie, how are you meeting with your students So your school? Um, our school has implemented uh, voice calling um, so you can have a voice meeting, no video, no live video allowed, just for the protection of our privacy of uh, staff as well as the privacy of the families. And um, so generally the way it works is I'll post a lesson. We're using Microsoft Teams. I'll post a lesson. Let's say it's number math. 
and um, then I'll set um, I'll give the kids a chance to listen to the instructional video, look at the activities, and then I'll set a meeting for about. 10 or 15 minutes into the class and I'll say to them, um, the meeting is open, join when you want to if you've got a question uh, rather than typing the question in chat um, and then other people can hear it. And often I'll have about four or five kids that join just for further explanation. They want me to go through a few things. They mm. want me to give them some definitions, those sorts of things. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Well, uh, sometimes they just like to say hello to each other. I <laughs> know <laughs> um, how they feel. <laughs> and you, you guys at home can't uh, see this, but Julie has a dog in her lap at the moment and uh, he, he's going crazy. <laughs> she. <laughs> She's going crazy. She knows something's up. That's the problem. Yeah, she's like, different. Give me attention. Give me attention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the hard work hasn't been all in vain. We have received earlier this week a correspondence from the Honourable Daniel Andrews, Member for Parliament. He's our Premier of Victoria, and he sent a personal message to all the teachers in the state. And it says, Thank you. Two words that can't express the enormity of our gratitude. But to every Victorian working to keep our kids happy, healthy and learning, thank you. For adapting to change and tackling challenges, thank you. For your commitment and calm, thank you. Because even though staying apart is keeping us together, please know we value you and all you do in keeping our state safe and strong. You have our support, our appreciation and our heartfelt thanks. Dan Andrews, Premier of Victoria. Ah, isn't that lovely? <laughs> Wipes tears away. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, not to be appreciated, though. We don't often get correspondence directly from the premier, so it was a bit no. of a bit of an eye opener for me. Yeah, I think um, also I, I don't often buy into political stuff because I don't pretend to have the knowledge of politics to back sort of up a lot of stuff. But I'm feeling like. Victoria and the current government in Victoria is doing quite a good job and protecting their um, school staff as well as the, the wider community. Mm. Uh, yeah, I agree. Your knowledge isn't there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. Hey, Neil. I feel, Ed, you got more knowledge than me, buddy. <laughs> Ooh, calm down, I you agree. two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, today, on today's episode, it's a special day today for mothers all around the country, nay, the world. Uh, it is Mother's Day today, so a huge thank you to our mothers out there. Kate, you've been keen to talk about mothers today. Yeah, I think in, like we've said, in these circumstances, um, we haven't had the ability or the, um, me teaching with the younger years, we often have our mums come into school um, and we do a bit of a craft or a gift for our students to take home to their mums or significant female um, person <laughs> in their life, whether it be a mum, stepmum or an auntie or a big sister, I've said to some kids sometimes. Um, so I've been making a bit more of a bigger online deal about it mm. as well um so yeah i said to brett how about we do a bit of a 
you know, mums and school story thing <laughs> episode. Yeah, well, we've got a few ideas. So first on our list is lunchboxes. Yeah. I know um, my sister-in-law um, has talked often at our family dinners um, how the pressure for particularly, I know, Julie, you teach with the older kids, but with the younger kids starting out um, at school and the pressure for a lot of mums or people that are packing the kids' lunch boxes of, you know, putting in the right foods and making sure they're all naked foods and, um, you know, the lack of packets or they're healthy. And we've seen some Facebook posts where a teacher has rejected the lunch box or, <laughs> you know, sent a note home. Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. There's full-on public shaming with lunch boxes. And I know my sister-in-law says that you're, you want to put in a treat for your kid and you feel bad because of that public shaming kind of way about <laughs> well, it. Yeah. I haven't worked with the younger end of the school for quite a few years now, so. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I haven't seen it. The kids the kids in my end of the year have just have, you know, $10 in their pocket to spend at the canteen often. Mm. So. I find at the start of the year in prep, the parents just go bananas filling up lunch boxes and they've the kids have got literally three or four times as much food as they would actually eat. And then I'm staring at these lunch boxes going, Damn <laughs> Can I <laughs> can I have some of that? <laughs> you know, they've got diced fruit, they've got muesli bars, they've got popcorn, they've got sandwiches, they've got everything. And I'm just there with my cheese sandwich. <laughs> this looks pretty boring to me. Well, your egg sandwich from the I was canteen. Say egg and lettuce, isn't it? Yeah, egg and lettuce. Yeah, shout out to the canteen ladies. They just do something special with the egg and the lettuce. <laughs> do you remember, Brett, once upon a time, the school we worked at together when we used to walk across the road to the fish and chip shop once oh, a week? Yeah, we did. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Fish and Chip Friday, I think it was. Fish and Chip Friday, we'd often have, you know, one of us would run across the road and always had the best potato cakes at shop. They did. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Great memories, I reckon. <laughs> and you walk into I'm the jealous. school ground, chips under the shoulder, you know, a couple of cans of Coke, and the kids would be eyeing you off, go, where's mine? <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever, ever been at the beach where the seagulls start to clamour around for your chips? It's like that with school. <laughs> the kids just come running. <laughs> yep. So what about the uh what about the Mother's Day stall? Oh, I love the Mother's Day stall. I love what the the mums up there do, just like the Father's Day stall. I love the excitement on the kids' faces. Yes, Julie, I know that us in the early years it's simpler things. <laughs> um but no, the- I love the Mother's Day stall because one, it solves a lot of um, problems for families. I think there'll be some dads out there struggling or there yeah. would have been this week yeah. not having Mother's Day stall to get their, their kids' little gifts <laughs> for their, their mum. But also I've, I've often purchased items myself. Well, that's where my story comes in. There was a pair of earrings, I think it was, um, that turned up just randomly. The, it was like the student had dropped them or walking out of the stall to either session off. So um, I walked around to the other classes saying, has anyone in the class bought you know, these pair of earrings and we need to find out who it is because, you know, you've bought them for your mum. We don't want her missing out. So all the kids had to check 
um, their bags and what they had bought. Um, it was a very uh, large child um, by the name of <laughs> Brett Harvey that bought the earrings for his mum. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> and obviously dropped them on the way back. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I thought my mum would like them. <laughs> well, she did. She did like those earrings. Recently, I found a gift on the bench at home, um, and it was one of those bath bombs, and it said "Happy Mother's Day." It was actually from last Mother's Day, and <laughs> somehow forgot to give it to mum. So I'm just saving it for today. <laughs> <laughs> Too far away from the last Mother's Day, you know, close enough to this one. <laughs> it's like it, it's like the box of student gifts you've got tucked away that um, you get and build up every year. And I have a box in my um, garage, and I put things into there, and then I'm like, hmm. When can I recycle some of these gifts? Because honestly, twenty five mugs a year. It, uh, it sort of tends to stock up a little bit. Although I smashed a mug on the floor home here the other day and thought, ah, oh, I can use one of those ones the kids have given me. Speaking of mugs, I don't know, is it a teacher thing that we just never run out of mugs? We just seem to have an excess. Yeah, because they get them as presents each yeah, year. I like yeah. it. I, um, last year I started writing the student's name on the bottom with a permanent texter. So when I use it, I can think of that student. Oh. <laughs> Here, tip out your coffee trying to read the name. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, we all, all appreciate uh, Mother's Day crafts and often we have mums and dads coming into the school on close to Mother's Day to, to do some work together. We get them to make cards and crafts and things like that. Yeah. I love it when the, um, when the younger years have pamper their mother and they <laughs> do nail polish and it's all over their fingers. And <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite, seeing these mums and kids proudly walk out with their nails done. <laughs> <laughs> I love it that they usually uh, like to do it to the mums that go and get their nails professionally done and you just see the look on their faces like, ah, oh, it's ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I love all those. I'm a very big um, individual results may vary, which is one of my mm. life mottos. So I love allowing the kids to have that creative moment of just putting those, you know, box of flowers out there and give it a go, see how it works out, do what you like with it kind mm. of thing. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. I usually get um, a paper bag and the kids are able to do a bit of a survey on the front or draw a portrait of their mum or for Father's Day I do the dads and then they can fill those bags with the little treats and um activities that we do on that day um, for their mums and they can give that as a gift, um, which is nice. Mums or grandmas um, often get a lot of students saying, you know, um, I've got a stepmom. I'm like, that's fine. Do one for her as well. Or, you know, grandmas or, you know, some people, some don't have mums. So yeah, it's big sisters, like I said earlier, and those mother figures, I think. Mm. And, of course, we also yeah. get um, on those sort of special days, you know, some mums are working. They can't actually make it into the classroom. So it's wonderful when the other mums kind of take them under their wing and do the motherly thing and just extend their, their own motherliness to, to children who don't have a 
mum there at school on that day. And it's just yeah. really lovely, really nice to see. It, uh, yeah, it extends that community spirit. I try and get my mum in for those days and it's a good um, opportunity for my students to um, be in awe and shock that, oh, my goodness, you have a mum too. <laughs> um, and that covered in the in the schoolroom. Yeah, <laughs> my mum will often sit with those kids that don't have their mums there on those days too. So mm. it's very nice. Yeah, Kate's mum always comes in and says hello. Usually holding a dog or something <laughs> or a small child. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now we've got to talk about um, schools wouldn't be schools unless there was a teacher that was pregnant and. We do get a lot of mums who are teachers at school and it must be really challenging for them. To be honest, I don't know how they do it. I can't imagine managing family life and teaching life like some do. Mm. Yeah. Um, A lot of them as well, I know, that do work full time and then they've also got the kids at home and, um, you know, thinking about, Worrying not only about school and that their planning's up to date and kids are all taken care of at school, but then childcare and, you know, who's looking after who Mm. and that kind of stuff as well. Like you said, Julie, I take my hat off to them. I struggle with just my dog and myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, when the the meeting ends at 4.30 and they say, okay, got to rush, got to pick up such and such from daycare. And then they have to go home and deal with them and feed them and entertain them or whatever or, you know, deal do with homework, uh, kids who have to do homework. Yeah, can, yeah. I think I've se- we've seen it probably during this remote learning times. I've got a good friend who is um, a teacher for a couple of days um, at the school that I'm at. Uh, but she's also got a few kids of her own there that are school age as well. And mm. watching, trying to help her out, I think, is my way of looking at it as best as I can. But she's doing the two jobs at the same time, trying to teach the kids remotely but teach her kids remotely too. Mm. There was one instance where she had got the work from the school for her kid and has made the kids sit down and do the entire worksheet for the day or the hour or something like that. And then she sent it back to her child's <laughs> stop. Her child's teacher. Um, and the teacher said, Yeah, that was supposed to take you all week. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, Oh, okay. <laughs> Off you you go. know, like you got Two worlds you're trying to juggle at the same time. It's difficult for the best of us at these moments. Well, uh, a big shout-out to two of my team members, uh, Rhiannon and Kirsty. They've both got kids, and there's been a few times we're having staff meetings online, uh, Microsoft Teams, and the kid, you'll see the kid coming in through the door, sneaking up to mum, holding up a book or something, and mum's kind of shaking their head or nodding, and then they they (laughs) sneak out again. (laughs) Or the the younger kids, you're you're in a meeting and the younger kids in the background, you hear this almighty roar or (laughs) scream or something, someone's pinched somebody or somebody's pushed over somebody and... 
Oh, my favourite at the moment, and not favourite as if, you know, I'm begging to see it, but it breaks my heart a little bit, is the mums trying to find a place to hide to be able to do their remote learning lessons. You yeah. know, there's been a few um, online where there's been sheets thrown over the spare room junk or, um, you know, hiding in the wardrobe or the study and saying, yep. don't be so loud because I don't want the kids to find me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sitting under under bunk beds or, or all sorts of things. Mm. Uh, yeah. I take my hat off to them. I really do. And, look, you know, there's, there's definitely something to be said for the Parents and Friends Association. You know, every school's got one mostly made up of women just by virtue of the, the fact that often, you know, the husbands are out working and the, the women have uh, kids to look after and they, they go that extra mile and they come into school and they help, help us um, run things and, you know, organise, you know, fates and family days and uh, support for parents and fundraising. Um, they just do it all. And so, yeah, big thumbs up, double thumbs up to all those mums out there who get involved with the school. Yeah, I've got one of those mums in my class um, at the moment and I had a chat with her last week, just rang her to um, see how, you know, she was going with the child's learning. Um, And I just felt as if, like, I forget how much of their connection to the community and the world is through school. So during these times, they would be struggling. You know, it's isolating for us and the kids and all that, but for a lot of the parents that um, their community is the school still, Mm. um, it must be tricky for them too. Well, they've lost a whole connection there somewhere for the time being, particularly maybe... I'm making an assumption here, but for stay-home mums who do put a lot of effort into parents and friends type um, uh, groups because they that's that's one of their things that they can do while being a stay-home parent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mind blown. Uh, (laughs) So a huge, huge thank you to all those mums out there who help get their kids to school on time with their lunch boxes and their uniforms clean and, you know, getting them there all loved up and happy. And those who do the homework, the home study with their kids at home, make sure that they're getting everything that they need. And even the mum teachers who just seem to just do it all. We, uh, we love you I, lots. I want to add in a big, big um, thank you to the stepmums, foster mums and um, mum figures in our, in our lives, I think, yeah. as well. I've got a few families at my school that I know um, are in either or the students are in foster care or um, they've, they've got aunties or uncles that are there for them. So, yeah, good on you taking that motherly role is a big step. Mm. And I'll just like to say um, happy Mother's Day to my mum. If uh, if she's still listening to this podcast, we're about half an hour <laughs> in now. She might have dozed <laughs> off, gone to sleep. Um, but if you are listening, mum, love you lots. I probably don't say it enough, but, you know, you've been a wonderful mum throughout the years and you're the best. Yay. Oh, thank you all that much, Barbara. And Beth. And Bev. <laughs> <laughs> <Throw it back laughs> <at you. laughs> 
All right, uh, moving on. Well, we might just pause for a little break there and have a bit of a mental health moment. So I've been doing a little bit of researching online and I've come across ABC's Mindfully podcast and it's available on Apple Podcasts. Are you feeling like the world is a strange and unsettling place right now? Yes. <laughs> Mindfully can help. Join Lisa Miller and Sydney Swans legend and mindfulness champion Brett Kirk as they bring you the tools that you need to find a calmer and happier you. From getting rid of work stress to coping with adversity, Mindfully will help you build mindfulness into the key areas of your life. And what's it like, Brett? I listened to a few episodes of it, and I tell you what, I nearly fell asleep. It was so relaxing. <laughs> Isn't that the idea of it? <laughs> yeah. You know, like... Is this, uh, <laughs> is this where I admit that episode four of this podcast last week or the other day I used, I put on and fell asleep to, which then I, I did dream about Brett and Kate, so I'm like, disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> The calming and melodic sounds of Brett Harvey and Kate Kilkenny. Disturbing, <laughs> <laughs> <Derby>, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask you after this uh, recording of what the dream was about. I'm intrigued. Uh, I don't really remember. I just know your faces were in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, check out ABC's Mindfully podcast. Like I said, I'd give it a thumbs up. There's plenty of episodes there, and they go from maybe five minutes to ten minutes, and they've all got something a little bit different to offer you, and definitely they're great for relaxation. And, you know, you might listen to one just before bed because uh, I tell you what, yeah, you'll get a good night's sleep. So, Julie. Yes. Tell me the feeling that comes to mind when I say the word ultranet. <laughs> um. <laughs> I just think about it and laugh, really, because <laughs> it was such a big thing in the or mid to late 2000s, was it? Mm -hmm. um, and we were, it was just going to be the, the be all and end all of online learning. And um, a lot of us became ultranet coaches. Uh, we were getting trained up in all of this, attending professional development after professional development. And and uh, working with uh, staff who were perhaps a little bit... Um, reluctant? Reluctant, that's the word. Mm. I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> staff were a little bit reluctant to take it on and, and it was this huge uh, online platform and millions of dollars were put into it. And, yeah, that was it kind of thing. Okay, so this started out as my funny story for today, but the more that I scratched at the surface of this story, the deeper it got. And I realized that there was so much to this story I didn't know. I was sort of getting the little, a little tiny bit of it at the funnel end, and it was a bit of a rabbit hole. So I did some research, and I think this story is a pretty big eye-opener. For those teachers who weren't aware of it, they might be a bit younger, completely would be unaware of this whole thing. Ultranet, the beginning of something great? There's a question mark there. 
And you'll see why. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was a question mark or you were just having like teenage voice issues. <laughs> On August 9th, 2010, 50,000 plus teachers statewide sat at their desks at 9 a.m., poised to log on to the Ultranet. A website aimed at connecting schools, staff, students and parents in a way never achieved before in this scale in Australia. What happened next was laughable, but not unexpected. It simply didn't work. <laughs> the Ultranet. Ultranet. Sounds like yeah. a superhero villain out of a Marvel Universe or some dystopian future, right? And if education was the hero of the story, then Ultranet was surely the villain, sapping millions of dollars from the education system for what would end up becoming a complete waste of time, money, hopes and dreams. And serving as Lock a warning <laughs> and Lock serving as a warning about the privatization of state education resources and the regulation of government education expenditure. Da -da -da -da. George Santayana once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So this is Brett Harvey's cautionary tale. <laughs> In the mid-1990s, the internet was going gangbusters. Principal of Glen Waverley Secondary College, Daryl Fraser, develops an idea with staff in-house when, as a navigator school, would lead the way to develop, trial and promote online technologies. During this project period, they create an intranet portal that gets noticed by some commercial companies, especially Oracle. Remember that name. The project is an online platform for students, parents and teachers to be able to access curriculum resources 24-7. It was actually a bloody good idea. Delegates from interstate and overseas were lining up to visit Glen Waverley College. It was Frasertown Utopia. Now... As a general rule, teachers are required to declare any other work that they do professionally outside their core job of teaching, especially if it might be a conflict of interest. Well, Daryl and his teacher posse secretly set up a private company called Cortechnica with the aim to commercialise this product that they had created at school, on school time, using school resources. Even though in theory, what they create is actually the intellectual property of the Department of Education. These guys really didn't care for that. They saw the big dollar signs. Fraser, though, with some foresight, chose not to become a director or shareholder of Cortechnica, even though the company was comprised of three of his Glen Waverley employees, and even Cortechnica's principal place of business said, and I quote, Glen Waverley College. What? Anyway. For realsies? For realsies. So a big multinational company called Oracle has been trialling online programs in schools and they strike up a partnership with Fraser. They see the potential in this project too and they also see the big dollar signs. Oracle would, in the near future, become the developers of its own ultranet prototype called L360. Now, fast forward... <laughs> To 2003, Daryl Fraser gets what is described by an anti-corruption commission as an extraordinary promotion from 
lowly principal of four years, to deputy secretary of the Department of Education. What? Despite being a man with no prior training in financial management or administration, he is now sitting at the adult's table and poised to make some big things happen. He is now overseeing the expenditure of 70% of the department's 2010-11 budget of $8.6 billion. I'll pause for a second. He's, <laughs> he's overseeing 70% of $8.6 billion. And just last week, he is a high school principal. What? By 2005, with significant influence by Fraser, the Labor government commit to building the Ultranet based on the model by Fraser and his posse. So in 2006, yeah. so there is a tender process where companies put in their budget estimates. The contract going to the company who is the best bang for buck, naturally. However, not surprisingly, Fraser influences the tender process and a company called CSG with Oracle as one of its subcontractors gets a box seat opportunity and the contract is awarded to a relatively new company called CSG Limited. Very limited, as it would turn out. Fraser is interconnected with both companies. He's got both thumbs firmly inserted in those pies. Even receiving interstate and overseas business trips. All while spruiking how awesome CSG is. Well, experts warn that CSG is a dud. And there are huge conflicts of interests. Despite being raised to the then Education Minister Bronwyn Pike, Fraser remained, and it wasn't until the corruption investigation that we discover how much rule-breaking Fraser was into. In the meantime, Pike announces the $60.5 million commitment to the statewide online system called the Ultranet. Ultranet, Ultranet. Ultranet, Ultranet, Ultranet. <laughs> An example of the corruption, Fraser created a sham $1 million department-funded company contract, paying $10,000 a month to a company called Alliance Recruitment to be used as a front. Fraser would then channel $1 million covertly through Alliance Recruitment into CSG Limited to make CSG seem like a viable company. What? Explain to the listeners, because they can't see Brett at the moment, the hand <laughs> movements of channeling and into. He looks like a uh, traffic controller on the runway. Directly. <laughs> <laughs> He's so into it. Uh, so now we jump to 2009. The small Darwin-based company CSG has the contract for the Ultranet. You know, we're talking 60 plus million dollars. And in 2010, this education revolution is going to begin. Such was the confidence of the department. A lavish $1.4 million celebration party was organized at the Melbourne Convention Center for the day after the online Ultranet launch. At Jeff Shed. At Jeff Shed. Welcome to the Connections 2010 Big Day Out and the launch of the Ultranet. All the schools um, sent their principals there for the party. The flamboyant celebration was called the Big Day Out. 
But there's already a big day out. <laughs> this is the big day out before the big day out. So, <laughs> uh, let me find my spot. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> so this is the part I where... where um, did, you know, the prodigy play at that big day out? <laughs> yeah. We have a full house today. 3,125 principals and assistant principals. We have one minister. We have one minister for education, one secretary and his leadership team, together with about 400 corporate staff. So the flamboyant celebration, it's got, it's got music, it's got dances, it's even got some women singing to the tune of Madonna's Material Girl. We are living in a virtual world and I am an ultranet girl. Oh, my God. Are you for real? <laughs> I am, is this serious, Brett, or did you make this up? We are living in a virtual world, and I am an alternate girl, girl, girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> the stage was covered with male dancers as well, doing all sorts of kind of hip-hop dancing, and it was a sight to behold. But... This was Fraser's time to spin it, you know, put the spin on things, right? The day before, the Ultranet crashed. It was an unmitigated failure. As the Ultranet coach hits the Victorian highways, Victorian educators, together with students and their parents, will hitch a ride along the information highway with the Ultranet. And he stands in front of the principals and he says, the big one, the one we are here today is for the ultranet. The fact that the government is prepared to invest $100 million, $100 million? I thought it was $60 million. $100 million to make sure that we have access to an open access framework technology platform, which allows us to share resources across the system to connect every parent, every teacher, every student. I think this is an indicator of the trust this government has in us and the trust this minister has in us. And we would later find out that this trust was abused ruthlessly. Fraser goes on to say about the ultranet. The ultranet, after all, is a wire basket, a simple framework that only comes alive when the expertise of our workforce is applied to it. What? What's he trying to sell us here? Fish and chips? <laughs> From across the road. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a difficult birth. It's been eight years in progress. It failed in the market the first time. We had to break down walls and barriers and ways of thinking within the department to allow the whole organisation to work collaboratively together to deliver on such a complex project. And we've done it. Even though, who could have guessed that the ultranet went down yesterday. <laughs> I think we all could have guessed, but anyway. Wow. And anyone who's ever used a computer or accessed a site <laughs> at the same time as thousands of people back in 2010 would know, especially on <laughs> state school internet service, which were fragile at best. It was laughable. Well, look, even 10 years later, it's still the same situation. If there's too many people accessing a site, they still crash. Mm. I was at uni from 2012 to 2015, and assignment-wise, it would crash then. 
That was only a few years ago. <laughs> Have you never tried to join Click Frenzy for online shopping? <laughs> Always crashes. So the story does have a an ending to it. We're in the we're in the final straight here. But there you go. The ultranet went down, and I'm told that at 10:30 it'll go up again. We've just emailed every teacher to tell them what the situation is. That the design space is struggling just a little bit, but it will come up. We have used it. So Fraser has assured everyone that the alternate would bounce back, especially since there was no plan B. $60 million, $100 million in, and there's no plan B. However, the alternate never recovered, and after all its technical issues, and with only 10% of Victorian students able to use the technology, in 2011, Fraser resigns from the Department of Education. And he takes up employment with guess who? CSG wow. Limited. Ooh. What? So he walked what? straight into a new job with a company that he had been pushing, pushing, pushing. But these days, CSG is a subsidiary of Fuji Xerox Company and specialises in business technology solutions. Daryl does have a Twitter account from 2013. Says Daryl Fraser <laughs> at Alternate Vic, and he said it says he's an education consultant. Oh. Now, 2013 rolls around and the new Napthine government absolutely scraps the Ultranet project. There was so much money invested and they got nothing out of it. On YouTube, you can listen to the farcical musical song, You'll Never Be Able to Log On to the Ultranet, featuring quotes from <laughs> Bronwyn Pike. It's actually very relaxing if you're feeling stressed about the state of education. <laughs> In 2014... The IBAC, or Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Board, begins Operation Dunham to investigate the Ultranet. We are Is talking... Dun-dun-dun-um. Dun-dun-dun-um. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking search warrants and searches of residences, Ooh. summons to provide information, witness examinations and interviews. It was like a departmental cavity search. Incredibly embarrassing, to say the least. Now, by 2017, Operation Dunneman releases a report on the investigation into the corruption and the scandal that was the Ultranet. Now, Fraser ends up being charged with several counts of obtaining property through deception and one count of misconduct. I have not been able to find out if he ever went to jail or not. But here's the cracker. This is the part of the story that gets me the most. The Ultranet cost somewhere between $127 million and $240 million. It cost so much and it was so convoluted that they don't even know exactly how much it cost the system. But it's estimated between 127 million and 240. That's over a hundred million dollars variation. And that just blows my mind. Wow, I was doing some Googling while you were talking just uh, to refresh my memory of the good old Ultranet and what we were doing. And yeah, a lot of that information came up. I found an article about the wasted $240 million. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Is it got anything to do with, I know, um, the, like our EduPay and um, EduSafe uh, and um, where we look for our employment, 
um, mm. uh, to do with an oracle? Is it the s similar company or? Do you know what? I think it could be, and it's probably likely to be, but on air, I can't say for sure. <laughs> okay. I haven't done that research. Allegedly. No. But Oracle has had their, their, you know, their foot in the door of education for decades now. They've been trialing lots of different uh -huh. programs. So I, it probably wouldn't surprise me if that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Since then, of course, we've had other platforms for education. We've had the Fuse platform, which was attempted to do a similar kind of thing to support teachers with curriculum. You can still look up Fuse. Yeah, still I use Fuse. Mm. Yeah. It's got some great stuff. Yeah. So by all definitions, the Ultranet should have been amazing and we should still be using it today. But yeah. um, unfortunately, so people... that that's um, trained in it, I think mm. it. Uh, we had the blind faith that it was going to be amazing, that it was going to be this new thing and... This um, new new world order and education, almost yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but for for again, for those of us in the simple little at that time, it was for me a simple little country school classroom had no concept of the corruption that was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, you know, Fraser, for all accounts and purposes, was very good at manipulating the system to suit his his wants and desires. You know, he even went as far as to say that the information coming from the education department at the time told schools to go out and basically make connections with commercial businesses, trying to make connections with businesses in the community. So he's kind of, you know, twisted the story to, to match up his own agenda. There were lots mm. of there were lots of his friends and associates that also invested lots of money into these companies as well. So, you know, it was there was kind of some insider training going on. Um, yeah, it's a huge story. And we've covered about twenty plus years of a story in about fifteen minutes. So it's uh <laughs> Yeah, it's a yeah. bit of a bit of a mind boggle. Oh yeah, shamozel. It is. It is. It's, it's when I think about it and the the amount of time we put into it, the amount of training we did and the amount of – and that was a thing, you know, those of us that were trained in it and, and I guess uh, fed the the quality line of it's going to be amazing feel like perhaps those reluctant, reluctant teachers were a little bit more on the money than, than those of us that were, you know, made to believe it was going to be this big thing. Mm. Wow. And I think you, know, you just hope that um... – the system itself has had, you know, learned a big lesson from that, and that they've got to find ways to make sure that that ideas and you know information developed within schools stays in schools becomes doesn't become you know something that schools then have to pay for. I think if it's created by teachers in schools, it should be available to all schools. So well, that's our heavy hitting story for the day. Um, do you guys actually want to take a break for a couple of minutes? So thank you to our listeners for joining us for part one of episode five. You can find Teaching for Dummies episode five part two in the podcast store. Don't forget to like and subscribe and leave a review. We love your feedback. Happy Mother's Day. Beep.